Today uh, we are beginning Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. This is one of my uh, favorite stories um, because I, I resonated, resonate with it uh, personally. Um, being a person who has spent his whole life lame, um, I resonate with the story of this lame man. And um, I remember, by way of just an introductory story, um, there was a time a few years ago when I was working with the Potter's House School Discipleship Program, and we had to, um, in our small groups, had to come up with uh, skits to act out the verses for the year. And when the leader of the discipleship program distributed the passages that we were supposed to do, I got the one for the man whose friends brought him to the roof and led him down through the roof and he was raised up from his bed and, and Jesus said, take up your bed and go home. And the lady that, after she had um, uh, made these assignments, she pulled me aside and she said, um, are you uncomfortable with doing that passage because I know you live with the reality of, of being lame every day of your life. And um, I said, no, you know, I'm not uncomfortable with that because I know that God has a plan. And when the Apostle Paul asked three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed, God could have said, yes, I will remove it for you. I mean, who, who in, in at least the way we think of things, who would have more cred with God to be able to ask for something like that than the Apostle Paul? And yet, God's answer to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul goes on in that passage to say, I'm going to glory. I'm not glorying because the infirmity was removed from me, but I am glorying in my infirmity because in my infirmity, God's power rests upon me. And so I just wanted to share that as a way of introducing this passage because we're going to see a great miracle today. But I want to assure you that just because God may not choose to do a similar miracle in my life or in your life, He is still the same all-powerful God. Amen? All right. Well, we're going to begin this sermon, and if you're taking notes, I have simply titled this message, A Life-Changing Day in the Life of a Lame Man. So, um, we're going to start by um, reading the first three verses. I'll just go over the points that we're going to cover today really quickly. We're going to talk about a simple request, point one. We're going to talk about a radical redirection, point two. And then point three we're going to finish up with is a un, an undeniable result. So that's where we're going to go today over the first 11 verses of the book of Acts. But let's look at the first three verses as we begin. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at 
at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, Peter and John went up to the temple um, at the hour of prayer. Remember, in the end of Acts chapter 2, what does it say that the disciples were faithful in? They were faithful in, among other things, prayer. So, going to the temple to pray was not something that was just a happenstance thing. It was something they were used to doing. And as they go up there, God is going to plan a divine encounter for them. If you notice, when we, read the, when we went through the book of Luke, there were several times when something that seemed to be an interruption turned out to be a great miracle. I think of the time when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Now, Jews of that day did everything they could to avoid Samaria. Because the Samaritans were half-breeds, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, um, and yet Jesus had an appointment with a woman at the well. And her life was eternally changed from that day forward. She went to her village and said, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, in general, we wouldn't be too excited about that because we've all done things that we're not proud of. But the reality was that by seeing, by seeing that he knew everything that she ever did, she also knew that he had the solution for her problems. And only by facing who she was could she hope to become something different. So that's the first thing. They're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And then they said, a certain man lame from his mother's womb. So there's no doubt, Luke is saying, there can be no doubt in your minds, there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt in the people's minds who told this story, that this man was a plant. Because it's very clearly stated in the passage, he was lame from his mother's womb. And that's my story as well. I've never known what it's like to walk. Sometimes I wonder if it would be, would have been better to be Johnny Erickson Tata and have walked until I was 16 years old and then had to adjust. For the most part, I'm thankful that I never had to adjust, that it was just my daily reality. I've had enough struggles with that. I don't need to think about what it would have been like if I had had to give up my legs. But it's very clear that this man was lame from his mother's womb. And he was placed at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple. So he had his life his life was already plotted out for him. The only thing he could do was beg at the temple. And this gate, this gate um, called Beautiful, was pretty beautiful from what I read. 
like a big brass gate that would catch the attention of people that were going past, which is probably why it was a strategic location for him to be placed. If a realtor was telling the story, he would use the motto, location, location, location. It's all very important. And then, he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asked them alms. Now, this is not abnormal. This is something he would probably do 20 or 30 or more times throughout the day. He was just going to ask alms. Maybe he had more than one place that he went, but at this particular time it was at the Gate Beautiful. But it, his, his vocation basically was asking alms. I'm thankful for, for people who have paved the way for me to live a more normal life. In the 1970s it was a big deal for these, these wheelchair-bound students to demand entrance into the University of California, Berkeley. Because a lot of people assume that because you're physically disabled it must mean that you have mental difficulties as well. And nothing could be further from the truth. But I heard a story recently about these people and one of the things they did was they got frustrated by the number of curbs in the city and in Berkeley, California, and so they actually went out with friends and took sledgehammers and began to hammer out cutaways into the curves. Now we've come a long way, but I still run into times when I have to find alternate routes because there's not enough cutaways in different areas of the city. All this to say that I'm thankful that we've come a long way from this lame man, but we still have a long way to go in some ways as well. So, he's in a situation that he can't change. He's asking for alms, which is his daily reality, I'm sure. And how often is it for us that we feel like we're in some place that's never going to change or that's going to be a continuous daily reality. I remember last year about this time or no, probably a couple months later from this time God was prompting me to give some donations to some organizations that I greatly care about and I was thinking about the fact that I needed to have money in my bank account for my car payment. And so I thought, well, maybe I can give a little less than I was planning on giving. And, and God will understand that because I need to be responsible. I need to be a good steward of my money. And God said, no, you need to give the whole thing. And so I did. And I felt like I was hurting for the next month or whatever, financially a little bit. But then God knew what he was doing and in May, I had a church in Jenison that I spoke at, and they told me they wanted to pay off the entirety of my van. And they, they didn't know about that situation. 
They only knew what God had called them to do. But I just think about the blessing I would have missed had I not been faithful to what he was saying. So things will quite often turn out differently than what we anticipate. But the one thing we know about this lame man is that he knew that he needed help. And so he cried out for it. If we could look at a cross-reference in Luke 18, 35-42. Luke 18, 35-42. This will give us insight on another man who cried out for help and how his life changed. So if someone could get that and read it for us, that would be great. Luke 18, 35-42. It came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. When he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith. So in this situation, we see a blind man who has no hope, much like this lame man, and he cries out for help. He knows that Jesus is coming by, and and he knows that Jesus can help him, and so he cries out for help. And I believe if we continued to read that passage, we would find that the blind man continues to follow Jesus after that happens. Because his life was changed, and I believe, not just for receiving his sight, but for receiving spiritual blessing as well. For knowing that someone who could heal his eyes like that had to be more than just a mere man. But again, someone in a desperate situation. Our next point, well, I'm going to read just this this uh, little story that I found about Patrick Henry. Because I think one of the interesting things that's going to happen here is we're going to see the juxtaposition between silver and gold and something far more important. There's nothing wrong with financial security. There's nothing wrong with having finances and being a good steward of it. But we have to know that every bit of it belongs to God. We sing that old chorus... He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that he will care for me. And my dad would always tell me that as I was working to pay off this car. He said, God owns it all. He can take care of that for you. Just trust him. But how often do we actually do that? And here's what Patrick Henry said in his will. Thus read the will of Patrick Henry. This is all the inheritance I can give to my dear family, 
The religion of Christ will give them one which will make them very rich indeed. So apparently, um, Patrick Henry was not a man of extreme means, which makes sense because the founding fathers, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they said this, We pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to found this nation. So, Patrick Henry says, I don't have much to give you, but Jesus Christ will make you rich indeed. And I think that's a good lead-in to our second point, which is a radical redirection. We started with a simple request. The lame man asked for alms, something you would probably have to do 20 or 30 more times that day just to get a little bit of money to scrape together to get the barest of necessities. He thought that's what he needed. So my next point to you is that God will often give you something that you didn't even know you needed. Paul said this, I am convinced that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And that's what's going to happen to this layman in our second portion of our passage today. He asked for alms, but look what happens. Starting in Acts chapter 3, verse 4, and going to 7, it says, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Now at this point, he's probably expecting, as it says in verse 5, And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So he probably has his hand out. It's probably looking at them with great expectations. And then Peter says something interesting. He says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. You ever notice how when there's miracles in the Bible... It's not be healed and then three days later they're healed. It's not be healed and then three days later his feet and ankle bones receive strength. It's immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. I wonder what he was thinking as Peter was grabbing his right hand and he's like, I've never stood up in my life. How am I going to be able to, to stay upright? But the Bible says immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. That's how fast I'm going to receive physical strength when I get to heaven. And uh, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Remember Jesus said to the, to the layman who had been put through the roof, he said, he, he heard the Pharisees' thoughts, which had to have been a little bit creepy to them. But, because they said, no man can, can uh, forgive sins except God alone. And Jesus said this, so that you know that 
The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. And the man rose up and walked. How amazing is that? And there's another passage on the, on the Sabbath when Jesus heals a lame man and he says, take up your bed and go to your home. And the man is probably grinning from ear to ear and probably, run, I imagine he'd be running and jumping and maybe stopping and walking a little ways and then maybe running a little bit more just to test out his new legs. And the Pharisees <coughs> come to him and they say, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath day? They care more about the bed than the man who laid on it for years. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't care about the bed. He cares about the man in it. And um, I'm thankful that he cares for each and every one of us. But Peter, having seen his master heal so many people, and being under the influence of the Holy Spirit and direction of the Holy Spirit, he... Uh, he heals this lame man through the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I can only imagine what that must have been like for the people around. Remember, he was lame from his mother's womb. There is no chance of them saying, well, Peter and John, they're just charlatans. They just planted a guy at the gate so they could take credit for healing him. No, the detail is there. And this man was just expecting to beg alms. He was expecting this day to be like any other. He was expecting to be given a few coins so that he could ask the next person for a few coins. But now, he's been healed. His feet and ankle bones have received strength. What does that mean? It means that he can go and he can find a job and earn a real living and get more than alms. His life was radically changed. My friends, when Jesus comes in contact with a life, life is radically changed. If you come in contact with the living Christ, you will never be the same. Paul said this, he said, I was a blasphemer. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but I count it all lost that I may gain Christ. He told his testimony three times publicly in the book of Acts, and every time he talked about being on the road to Damascus going one way and being knocked off his high horse, quite literally, and turning a 180 and funneling that zeal from one who hated God, who persecuted the church, into one who loved God and loved the church. Who had a burden for Israel as, as a mother has for a child. Who said that he would give up his own salvation if all, all of Israel could be saved. 
and who was able to say at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And now is laid up for me a crown of life, which the Lord has promised not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. If we can look at Luke 13, 11 to 13. Luke 13, 11 to 13. Again, there's that word immediately. For 18 years, she had an infirmity and she couldn't stand up straight. 18 years. And one touch from the Master. And some of the greatest words ever, woman, thou art loosed from your infirmity. And she was free. My friends, God still does those miracles. And far more important than any physical freedom is spiritual freedom. If you have yet to fully surrender to the God of Acts to the God of the Gospels to the God of today please do so Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever what an amazing truth Okay, I wanted to share this story. The story is told of a gentleman visiting a slave market who was deeply touched by the mental agony of a slave girl who had been delicately, delicately reared and feared that she should fall into the hands of a rough master. The gentleman inquired her price, paid it to the slave trader, and placed the bill of sale in her own hands, telling her that she was free and could now go home. The slave girl could not realize the change at first, but running after her redeemer cried, He has redeemed me. He has redeemed me. Will you let me be your servant? How much more should we serve him who has redeemed us from sin and death and hell? <laughs> I'm reminded of the prodigal son who said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and am no more worthy to be called your son. <laughs> Let me be as one of your hired servants. And yet the fatted calf was cooked, a new robe and a new ring was put on the son, 
and God does that for us today. We write in John chapter 15, I, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Just as Abraham was, I am a friend of God. You ever think about that? If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are a friend of the Almighty God. That humbles me. If we can look at our third point, which is an undeniable result. So first we had a simple request for alms. Then we had a radical redirection. A healing that would allow him to stop begging for alms. And an undeniable result. Acts 3.8 And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with him in the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. And as the lame man was healed, as the lame man was, who was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. When, when a healing takes place, when a life change takes place, it impacts those around them. The biggest thing you can do to share the gospel with others is to share how it changed your life. When, when people see a difference in your life from, from the rest of the world, that's when they will ask, Remember when Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost. I'm sure there were some people there that remembered what he had done at the trial. When they said, surely you're one of his followers. I saw you with him and your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. And he said, I do not know the man. Three times he said, I do not know the man. And then he went out and wept bitterly. But this, this Peter, who we're reading about now, is not the same man that we read about then. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God redeemed him, because God forgave him, and gave him a mission to feed the sheep. And that's what Peter was doing. And next time, we will see Peter's second sermon here in the book of Acts, and we'll study that in more detail. But it was the healing of the lame man that allowed people to get excited about God was do well, what God was doing. Let me read um, verse 11 again. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together into the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. They're like, we, we saw this guy sitting at the temple gate. We know he doesn't have an identical twin brother. 
This is him. I think later we'll find, I'm not exactly sure, but I think somewhere in this passage it talks about him being about 40 years old. So we're talking about a long-term thing as well. So they're wondering, they're, they're like, there has to be an explanation and we want to find out what it is. When people, when people saw that Paul's conversion was real, they needed an explanation. They needed to find out what it is and what it was that Herod said to Peter or Paul. He said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. How awful it would be to be almost a Christian. The Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. I know that I have eternal life because the Bible says that if I believe on Jesus Christ, in that moment I'm passed from death to life. Just like the miracles we were talking about. It wasn't like if you pray this prayer three days later, you'll be passed from death to life. No, in that moment. Instantaneously instantaneously the change happens remember we studied about the thief on the cross several weeks ago he didn't have time to get off get off, get off the cross and go to sabbath meetings for a month to prove his earnestness he didn't have time to even wash jesus feet he didn't have time to follow jesus through the countryside that opportunity was lost. All he could say is remember me. That's all he could say and yet it was enough. And yet I will find him someday in glory and I'll be able to ask him personally about that. What was it like to hear those words from Jesus? It must have been pretty amazing. Um, so if we could look at Psalm 107, 20 to 22, Psalm 107, 20 to 22, he sent his word and healed them That's exactly what the lame man was doing. He was walking and leaping and praising God. Imagine if he had just been given the alms. He might have still been thankful. He might have still praised God for that, but he wouldn't have been walking and leaping. And even think about the first command that Peter gave him. He said, look on us. 
Imagine if he had just ignored that guy and said, that guy's kooky. Why, why would I want to look at him? I just want his money. And yet he took the first step of faith. And his life was radically altered. And God can do similar things for us. I went into a restaurant one day after bowing my head and giving things for the food, a waitress came over to my table and said, Pardon me, but you must be a Christian. I have looked for three months for a Christian to come in here because I would like to be saved. <laughs> I know of at least 15 professing Christians who were eating at that restaurant, but apparently not one of them had bowed his head. And I said, Thank you, Lord. Here was this woman watching for a Christian and waiting to be saved, but seeing no one to help her. That is from A Sure Remedy by Dr. Walter L. Wilson. So even something as simple as praying over our food at a restaurant can be a powerful testimony to others of what God can do. When I look at this story, I see a man who started the day with one expectation and came out of it with a completely different reality. We don't read anything about the, the man's family, so I don't know what it was like for them, but can you imagine if you were one of the people that placed him at the gate and probably left him there and said, I'll be back in a few hours and maybe you heard a commotion nearby there so you turned around and there was this friend who you knew had been lame for his whole life standing there and you could finally look him in the eye. And he could look you in the eye. What that must have been like. That's just an amazing thing to me. I want to share a song with you that I think goes with the message. This lame man wasn't much to look at. He was probably passed by by many people who didn't give him the time of day, who thought that he was less than. As a matter of fact, when the disciples saw the man born blind in John chapter 9, they said, Who sinned? This man or his father and mother that he was born blind? Because their perception, and I've read other places that it was a common Jewish perception that if you had a physical infirmity, it was somehow your fault. And you just had to figure out why. But Jesus said, no, man, no one sinned. This man or his parents. Now, of course, he wasn't saying they were perfect. But he said, he wasn't, he said no direct sin led to this, but that the power of God may be made manifested. And in this guy's case, 
the blind man's case, it was to be healed. In this lame man's case, it was to be healed. In my case, it's in glorying in my infirmity so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's in showing the kids every day when I show up to school that a wheelchair is no excuse for not doing things with your life. And so what excuse do they have? That's where my power comes from. Well, it was battered and scarred and the auctioneer felt it was hardly worth his while to waste much time on the old violin but he held it up with a smile he said it sure ain't much but it's all we got left I guess we ought to sell it too oh no who'll start the bid for this old violin just one more and we'll be through and then he cried out one give me one dollar who'll make it two only two dollars who'll make it three Three dollars twice, now that's a good price, but who's got a bid from me? Raise up your hand and don't wait any longer, the auction's about to end. Who's got four, just one dollar more, to bid on this old violin? Well, the air was hot and the people stood around as the sun was setting low. From the back of the crowd, a gray-haired man came forward, picked up the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin and tightened up the strings. Then he played out a melody pure and sweet, sweeter than the angels sing. And the music stopped in the auction here with a voice that was quiet and low. He said, now what is my bid for this old violin? And he held it up with the ball. Then he cried out, one, give me one thousand. Who'll make it two? Only two thousand. Who'll make it three? Three thousand twice. Now that's a good price. Come on, who's got a bid for me? And the people cried out, what well, made a change? We don't understand. Then the auctioneer stopped. And he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. You know, many a man with his life out of tune is battered and scarred with sin. And he's auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like the old violin. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd they never understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought just by the touch of the master's hand. <clears throat> then he cried out, one give me one thousand, who'll make it two? Only two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand twice, you know that's a good price. Come on, who's gonna bid for me? And the people called out what made the change. We don't understand. Then the auctioneer stopped, and he said with a smile, It was the touch of the master's hand. It was the touch of the master's hand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the touch of the master's hand. We thank you for working through Peter and John 
in this instant with the instance with the lame man, we thank you for the fact that you gave him exceedingly abundantly of above all that he could ever ask or think that day. He was thinking about a couple pieces of gold or silver. And Peter didn't have that. But what he did have, he imparted. And that man's life was changed forever. Lord, I, I hope that people will realize today that you can change their lives forever. You've said, if the Son therefore shall set you free, you will be free indeed. Now go with us as we go our separate ways. Help us to cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. Lord, I pray that you would um, bless each person abundantly, that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.